Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast, formerly Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to health and well-being and features interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food fact series. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer turned nutritionist. I have a deep curiosity about living a healthy, active and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you on this podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I will note that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions, and it is never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with Karen McCall. Karen is the founder of the Financial Recovery Institute and the creator of a money management program called Money Grit. Karen went from dodging calls from the IRS, the equivalent of of which is the ATO here in Australia, to helping thousands of people get out of debt and build a life and business they love. She has spent the last 30 years working with individuals and business owners to help them build a positive relationship with money. As you know, Vibrant Lives podcast is focused on well-being and in general I interviewed people about nutrition, exercise and movement and mental health. So today's interview can be seen as somewhat of a departure from that but the more time I spent thinking about our topic today which is financial well-being and relationships around money, the more I thought that financial well-being can be intimately connected to our overall health and in particular, I would say, to our mental well-being, because lack of financial well-being or financial security can be an overwhelming source of stress. I would say that just about every adult on this planet, apart from a very privileged few, have at some point in their lives experienced financial stress, whether it stems from not having enough money to meet their final obligations or from overcommitting themselves financially. And so that is why I think Karen's story is a really important one to share. And more than that, she offers solutions. Karen explains how certain beliefs about money and relationships with money can drive self-defeating behaviour. People can find themselves in a situation where spending money is like an addiction and it just serves to amplify their problems with debt and that can lead on to self-esteem and all sorts of other impacts relating to well-being. But the good news is there is a way out and that is what Karen will be sharing with us today. Hi Karen. Hello Amanda. Welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast. Thank you very much for coming on as a guest today. It's a real pleasure to have you and you're based in, is it San Francisco? Well, I was in San Francisco most of my life, but my husband and I are settling in the Northwest um, in Vancouver, Washington. Oh, how nice. Karen, can you please share with us your financial story? Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll just turn the clock back to the mid-1980s. And I was divorced and I had two daughters who'd gone off to college. And I had a fairly substantial amount in my divorce settlement. Mm -hmm. And um, I just stuck my head in the sand and went through that money 
just pretended like, you know, hey, it's going to last forever. Yeah. Not at all understanding that um, the fact that I really, I had no clue on how to handle money. And it was just my very big secret. And um, I eventually went to work. I went to work in San Francisco and uh, for one of the largest computer companies in the world. Beautiful office in San Francisco, big grass, glass round building. And if you would have seen me, you would have thought, wow, this woman is really a success. But mm -hmm. behind that impressive looking facade, I had a dirty little secret. And that was that I was on the verge of being evicted. And um, I had IRS debt that I was just kind of ignoring and putting all my bills in a big bowl on top of my refrigerator. So that's what my life was like back in the early to mid 80s. Well, that's really interesting because, I mean, there's so much to unpack there, but let's start with, you mentioned your facade and how you looked like the consummate professional. You had a great job, you had the right clothes, a sports car, you lived in a nice place. Why do you think at that time it was important to you to look that way and to have the outward signs of success? I just think because my self-esteem was really impacted by the fact that, um, you know, down deep, there was this, this secret that I had that I didn't know anything about money that I was mm -hmm. living. Um, you know, at that point, I did have to find a different living situation. And I just kept it a big secret from everyone. It was a way to make myself feel better and just kind of pretend, live in denial and pretend yeah. like it really wasn't going on. But it really took a toll on my health, on my self-esteem, psychologically, but also physically, um, it really impacted me. So what was that like for you? You say that you hit rock bottom. You don't have to share everything with us, obviously, but just tell us a little bit how you felt. Well, the way I felt was once I, you know, the, the night came that I decided that I really needed to pull that bull down and look at all my bills and really, you know, start facing mm -hmm. reality. And what I felt was, um, while well, I was listening to some audio tapes at that time by Dr. Robert Schuler, Possibility Thinking. And so, again, I think one of the things that I always tried to do to minimize my pain was to take optimism to kind of the other extreme, right? And so... I looked for solutions. And um, at the time, you know, we didn't have Google. We yeah. had the yellow page. We had the yellow pages. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I looked in the yellow pages and there were financial planners and there were accountants and there were budget counselors, but there was nothing in between. And so I tried budget counseling, but it didn't work for me because they just wanted to take my paycheck, pay my bills, give me a little bit of allowance and right. send me on my way. And it, it just wasn't effective. It didn't last more than probably one or two months. Yeah, it sounds like it didn't actually address the problem in terms of how you understood money and, and managed it. So you have turned your life around, which is what we are going to talk about. But so how did you do that? And who helped you? You know, I did reach out for help. And one of the things I did is I started going to see a therapist I also um, found a 12-step program that had some help with money. Mm -hmm. And um, and I did start talking about it, starting to come out of my isolation and denial. And, um, and so all of that was very helpful. And what it did for me, though, is as I decided that I really needed to design a very different life for myself and get smart with money, 
I realized that there were probably a lot of people like me yeah. who had never, they were caught in that gap between the budget counselors and financial people. And so I started having this idea that this might be something I wanted to do. Um, I was working in corporate America and everybody thought, hey, that's so great. But the reality is, was that I felt depressed. I started really having stomach problems. So I also went to a nutritionist at that time. And so as I started dealing with some of my health issues, I started thinking more clearly. Mm -hmm. So I was getting help from an emotional and physical and spiritual, you know, so kind of that confluence of all three um, really, really changed my life. Well, that's, that's very interesting because the crux of what we'll be talking about today is the relationship between how people deal with and think about money and well-being. So as you say, you needed all those aspects to heal your relationship with money and your health. You did touch on this, but what was it that made you want to help other people struggling with financial issues? You know, I think from the time I was a little girl, I've always been drawn to helping people. Um, and it just, I, as I was getting, gaining some insight mm-hmm. to what was going on with me, just this realization, I cannot be the only person. And so I started helping some friends and I just saw how it started changing their life. And I mean, gosh, by 1988, you know, I started financial recovery. Mm-hmm. So it was just um, a deep desire to make a difference in people's lives. Wow. And really the thing is, it is such a tangible difference, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, And I imagine, look, I don't know this as a fact, but it could be very difficult for women who are in a similar situation to you where perhaps they were married and, you know, traditionally the, the male would often look after the finances. I mean, not always, but if that was the case and then you find yourself divorced and you've really not dealt with it before, how do you know what to do? You know, it's, it's tricky. So that's, I mean, obviously where you come in and you said you struggled to find the right help. You know, if you're struggling with debts, you're not going to go and see a financial advisor because <laughs> that, that's not the person you need. They're the people that help you when you have money and you want to invest it. The debt person that help you didn't really address the um you know the mental health side of the issue so you are now a money coach which is different from an accountant or a financial advisor so what is the difference well and you know when I started my business I called it financial recovery and I called myself a financial recovery counselor and then the term after a few years of money coach Um, It was something that people are much more comfortable with. But when I was working with people, I was working with um, individuals and families. And um, what was different is, like you said, the financial planners help you grow your wealth. Mm. Accountants, their main focus is tax planning, Mm. estate planning, that type of thing. And so, you know, the focus of this was to help people learn and get strong with money today you know, about their life today. And one of the things that was really impactful, and I think um, one of the contributors to my business taking off right from the beginning is that I really started focusing on the numbers for sure. You have to you have to work with the numbers. You have to really begin to see what the numbers are telling you. And, um, you know, if we think about healthy thinkers, 
they have a thought process where they try to make a decision about something, they can connect the consequences and then make an, the appropriate yeah. decision. Mm -hmm. And that can be a few minute process or it could be a few weeks or months if it's a bigger purchase. But people like me, um, what we do did was split off the consequences. So, um, you know, it's like, oh, I want to do this, but no impact in terms of, you know, just completely divorce the consequences. And that creates a lot of problems. And particularly with people who use a lot of credit cards, and particularly if they use credit cards and are spending more than they can afford to spend, they split off the consequence of I've got to pay for that purchase. Yeah. You know, yeah. we have two motivators, pain and pleasure. So the pleasure of buying something and then splitting off the pain for paying for mm -hmm. it is one of the things that can cause people to get in a lot of trouble with money. Yeah. And as you say, you were in denial. So you just throw all your, your bills into the bowl and kind of forget about them. Yes. I can see how that, that could happen to someone. And so Karen, who are your clients? Are they men, mainly men, mainly women, businesses, individuals? Who do you see? Well, I retired from um, working with people individually a few years ago and have primarily focused on training money coaches internationally. Yes. Um, and so the, the type of client that will see a money coach, more often it's women for a couple of reasons. One, it's easier for women to reach out for help. Mm -hmm. We're way more motivated, you know, to reach out and, and get help, especially um, if, you know, for things like this, if yes. you know, yeah, I want to get smart with money, so they'll reach out for help. However, when I was working with people, I also loved working with men. And I saw that, um, you know, I had attorneys, I had financial planners. I remember this one financial planner at one point leaning over, nobody was in the office. And he said, if any of my clients knew my situation, you know, I would be so embarrassed. And so what I discovered is that people from all walks of life, men, women, families, um, can benefit from this. And when, when we read books about putting together a financial team, quite often the missing piece is the money coach. Yeah. Because, because they can dig in uh, with the numbers and the behaviors that are going to help people be successful than going to the financial planner, being more successful in, in other ways as well. So um, it's a, it's been a missing link, even though I've been around for about 33 years, it's still a relatively new profession. A lot yes. of people say, I wish I would have heard about you years ago. So it's nice to be on your podcast and sharing the, the news that there are are these kinds of coaches that can help people? Yeah, I imagine there's a huge need. Well, you've you've obviously found that in your work. So when you were meeting with individuals, I'm just curious about um, what it was like when they first came to you. Did you find that they were often quite distressed um, and perhaps a little bit embarrassed about the situation they were in? So where do you even start? And you're so right. So often, you know, the, the money coach that they're seeing might be, it might be the first time that they've told, you know, how yeah. they're feeling about money. And that some of the different emotions that would come up definitely would be fear. I'm afraid um, there won't be a solution for me. I'm embarrassed. Um, you know, maybe they have a lot of secrets in their relationship with their significant other or from their family. Um, and so we, but we always sort of start in the same place. I always want to help a person look at where they are mm -hmm. currently, 
but then it's really important to look at where they're heading. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the thing. And this approach is one where we definitely are doing spending plans and looking at their debt, working with the numbers, but also seeing what the numbers are telling us. Um, and so many people, the way they manage their money is they do a rear view mirror counting. You know, I spend it so they get ready for taxes once a year and they yep. get all their stuff together. And so what we start with is uh, a person learning how to plan their spending and their earning every single month so that they can start seeing, this is what I'm planning. If they implement that plan, they can see that it'll work out. But mm -hmm. now they see, oh yeah, but I did this and I did this and I did this. So we can start connecting um, the emotions that triggered the client to spend in a different way, which sabotages their success. Yeah. So it's, um, it's one that's, you know, it's behavioral modification for mm -hmm. sure, but it's just getting clear, conscious and connected to their money yeah. and starting to see what the numbers are telling them. Yeah. And if they'd never looked at numbers in that way, how do you connect? How do you make the connection if you don't actually know in the first place, if you're just in denial? Um, do you find that people were often reluctant to reveal the full extent of their their issues or by the time they'd come to you they were ready to do it or I guess maybe there was a mix there was a mix more often it would be they would be so relieved to be there and finally talk about it however one thing I would experience and I know money coaches experiences sometimes it takes a while to really develop the trust, right? Sure. Mm. And because of the shame and embarrassment, sometimes people will hold certain things back because they are afraid of being judged. And so yeah. they want to make sure that this is a safe place before they real, reveal their deep, deepest secrets. Yeah, and I guess if they're meeting with you personally, they know that you've been through it yourself, which means you're not going to be judgmental because you know exactly what it's like to be in that position. In your experience as a money coach, why is it that people might have an, an emotional relationship with money? You know, um, the American Psychiatric Association several years ago um, started recognizing that stress over money was um, definitely a very serious thing. And at that point, they said Americans, I think like 72%, um, we're stressed. And now because of COVID, yeah. we know it's even more important. And I'm so sorry, I forgot your question. In your own opinion, from what you've seen, why do you think people have an emotional relationship with money? I think one of the reasons that people have an emotional relationship with money is that money touches every area of our life, right? Yeah. All of our relationships. There are people who say um, one of the things that will bring people for counseling is they want to develop a healthy relationship with money or they want to become a grown-up with money. They know that the way they handle money is not serving them. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the emotions will be definitely where people feel, I know for me, I felt a lot of shame and embarrassment because it was my dirty little secret, yeah. right? Um, but other times, you know, just think of parents. Maybe they feel, well, I can give you an example that um, a workshop I taught recently one of the women said, you know, how can I not overspend on my kids right now? I feel so bad that they can't go to school. And so I'm always trying to make everything up. Yeah. And so we try to accomplish a lot with money. 
And a lot of times we don't recognize that there is an emotion driving it. We want to feel better. Or we want somebody else to feel better, uh, especially if, if we equate money with love. Yeah, you know, sure. equate money with bad. I mean, whatever. But everybody has a relationship with money. And something I saw on just the news, I think, in the last couple of days, they were interviewing um, a man who had lost his job due to COVID. And he said one of the things he's doing is he just continues to wash his contacts rather than replacing them because he doesn't have the money. Um, so, and, and just think how that must feel, you know, to yeah. not be able to really take care of himself in the way that he would want to take care of himself, take care of his family members in the way that he would want to. So, you know, money is just, it hijacks on all kinds of feelings. Yeah. And I think I imagine it's very much uh, tied into self-worth. Right. You know, we respect people. I mean, people who look successful and are mm. successful, they, they're envied, right? Yeah. One of the things that one of the lessons though that I learned right off is <clears throat> I expected my practice to be one where there would be people like me, you know, people who had a lot of debt and had never learned about money. But within the first few months, I realized, and I, I was fortunate in that I had some publicity fairly early on because it was such a unique. Um, a unique business. And I started getting referrals from people where someone had inherited millions of dollars, you know, and, and they were freaked out about money. And so, you know, earlier when you ask who our clients are, I mean, it can be someone who was like me, but it can also mm. be someone who has sudden money or inherited money. And a lot of people who have inherited wealth have a lot of challenges with money. You know, they, they wonder if they if their money dried up, would they ever be able to take care of themselves? Yeah. So fear and um, you know just lack of knowledge can really impact a person in their relationship with money. Yeah. In fact, one thing I would like to ask you about is it seems that it's quite a pervasive problem that people don't understand how to manage money, and if you're never taught, how do you know? So, do you think it's something that should be taught in schools? I mean, maybe it is in the US. I'm, I don't think it is here in Australia that I know of. You know, it really needs to start with the families. It yeah. really does. I mean, having having classes on, um, you know, economics and so on, great. But no, it really needs to start. You know, it was always sad when, when a family would say, "I my, my kid's going off to college next year. Can I send them in and can you teach them about money? Um, you know, parents can start with, even with little kids, um, you know, after school, hey, we're going to stop for a treat every day. And, you know, they go into the little shop and they, you know, get ice cream and candy. And a parent could say, you know what, let's, we could do that two or three times a week instead of five. And then we could do this other thing. You want to start with children with very small choices, but you want to have them, you know, pumpkin patch um, at Halloween, you know, Hey, we're going to the pumpkin patch and you get to spend this amount of money. And with that, you can either get one big pumpkin or one medium or two mediums or maybe four or five little small ones. You start helping a child learn how to delay gratification make choices. Yeah. It has to start really, really young. Mm. I think delayed gratification is is something that comes up a lot with the current generation. And that just leads perfectly into the question I need to ask you. And that's about social media, because we do live in a consumerist society. 
and social media, you know, I, I think it creates a pressure to have things to look a certain way. And I imagine it could, you know, contribute to financial stress. So what's your opinion about social media and financial Um, stress? Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's just, and it's not just social media, it's, it's advertising on television. And, you know, we see it all over the place. And psychologists know, I mean, advertising companies hire psychologists because they know how to tap into our insecurities or our um, fantasies, you know, and hey, if you get this, you're going to feel better. Um, what, What I feel is important, and it's kind of the foundation of my work, is for people to begin by learning what their deepest needs really are. So for example, I have an exercise where Um, I can show people who are caught in the money life drain and just picture an upside down triangle where they have a lot of pressure and stress, money worries. And then, you know, as the, um, as you, you know, how when the water circles a drain, it gets smaller and smaller. So if people are caught in the money life drain, the time comes that their life force is just kind of squeezed out. Yeah, Uh, They're probably not taking care of themselves and not feeding themselves. They may not be going to the doctors. And so what I start with is to have people um, begin by a simple exercise of doing a wants and needs list with every category of your life. You walk around and you say, okay, yeah, I look at my home. Yeah, I have this deferred maintenance. I need this. Oh, yes, I need new contact lenses. And if people can start consciously choosing to spend their resources on their needs and it may be, like I said, you know, getting the context that that gentleman yeah. that was on, on the news, but it can be other little things that is going to fundamentally change things for people because we can never get enough of what we don't need and we can never get enough of the wrong need. And so it's important. And that is one of the ways that we can counter what happens in social media and what happens in, um, you know, in advertising because people, if their deepest needs are met, they're not going to be so susceptible. They won't have that craving and that longing that makes them so susceptible to those kinds of that type of exposure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And the other interesting thing about it, so it can start with a little thing. I'll give you an example. I was working with a woman who just on the clothes category, she just had clothes. And I said, well, tell me about your wardrobe. And she said, it's terrible. You know, and I, well, how about your lingerie? And she said, oh, no, I never spend money on anything like that. So we spent some time in that category saying, well, are there any, are there events that you don't go to because you don't have the right clothes? And how do you feel going to work? So she put together some categories to start taking care of all the deprivation in her wardrobe. And she contacted me later and she said, weird thing. I have $10,000 in the bank. I've never had that before. She said, I went from not being able to buy underwear to having 10,000 in the bank. What happens is this feeling that that will drive a lot of us, this emotion of um, maybe not deserving or not feeling worthy of, we'll hold things out. We're not consciously doing it. We'll hold things out. So that just the act of starting to say, yeah, I will take care of my clothes. I will take care of my shoes. I will start feeding myself better. If people identify the deprivation in those areas, it opens them up to be able to receive more. They they start changing that belief about themselves that they don't deserve to, I do deserve. 
And, and that can impact how they earn money, how they spend money, how they relate to it in, in every way. Yeah. I mean, you said earlier that you talked about the difference between wants and needs. Um, and that's quite fundamental from the sounds of it to recovering from financial issues and getting yourself back on track. What about when they're tangled up? I mean, a lot of people could think, I need a diamond necklace. They don't need it. They want it. So how do you disentangle it when people have got it all muddled up? Yeah. And you know, they do. And that's such a great question. So what I tell people is when we look at every category of a person's life, you know, we look at their food, how are they feeding themselves? Are there, and so they might see that they need some help. So I have them do a needs and wants list. And I will say, if you don't know which it is, put it on both. Mm -hmm. Some people will feel like everything is a need. Yep. That, that, that deep, deep, you know, longing is so strong. Everything's a need. And other people, people who are more anorexic type, you know, that hold everything out, nothing's a need. Thank you. I don't have any needs. So you're right to, um, to ask the question about how do people start doing it? And so what I do is I, I start with that simple, as you do your spending plan, you look at all your categories and you ask yourself, Am I doing, I I think there's three things that contribute to this sense of deprivation. And one is doing without something that's really important. Yep. And so as you look at each category, what am I doing without? And then the second thing that contributes to a deprivation is making do, you know, and I'm not talking about being frugal, but I'm talking about the duct tape approach to fixing things, right? Everything's kind of incomplete, kind of cobbled together. Um, Nothing ever feels quite right. And then the overdoing, overdoing is overspending, overspending, overworking, just overdoing everything. All three of those states, doing without making do and overdoing, will lead a person to a state of deprivation. So we start by having them, you know, it does take a while to untangle it, but it starts getting clear with some of these exercises. Are you doing without? So that's just one simple one. Am I doing without making do or overdoing? And that's why, you know, we will have relationship with a client for a fairly long period of time sometimes. Because it, it's a process that unfolds over time. And I imagine when the client first comes to you, or many of them, they are in debt. So I guess you have to start by kind of sorting that out before you then create um, an ongoing um, program about how to manage their money. So is part of your program to teach people to live within their means? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, living living under your means and saving the difference is the magic formula, right? Yes. And, um, and there's a lot that goes into that because I know for me, where my self-esteem was, you know, it was so low. And, and I got rid of money faster than it came in. I usually had it spent before it came in. And so I have a process called saving your way out of debt. Yes. Where we not only look at a person's relationship with credit cards, but we look at their relationship with savings and you hear a lot about a person's relationship with credit cards, yeah. but not a lot about savings. So for me, savings was not even a part of my vocabulary. And um, I really believe that um, it has, it has to be dealt with together. And that's sure. why I called saving your way out of debt. 
if people have, um, let's say it's been years, maybe decades that they're carrying credit card debt and paying a lot of interest to credit card companies, making those financial institutions wealthy, but completely um, eliminating any opportunity for themselves to get ahead. Um, what I will start them with is to begin to think they've got it. You know, the first rule of holds, if you're in one, stop digging, right? So to get stabilized so that they're not doing that. And the only way they can do that in the beginning, maybe pay just the minimum on their credit cards and start to build up savings, not savings to grow wealth or, you know, that emergency fund or whatever, but the savings it's going to be for periodic expenses. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons that people go into debt is they think about what they their expenses are each month, but they forget about the um, the ones that are going to come up every other month or every three or four months or once a year. Or the random things. The mm. random things, right. But most things can be planned for. I mean, really. I mean, yes, forest fires and, and earthquakes and things like that, emergencies do happen. But car repair, if you have an older car, is not an emergency. It feels like that if you don't have the money set aside to do it. Um, so we start that process together of looking at the relationship to um, savings. And, and once they start doing that, they got, that feels good. I can yeah. pay for that car repair. Oh, I can pay for that, you know, medical visit where I have to pay, make my copay. So everything is designed to help the person begin to feel more grown up, more responsible. And the other thing is I always have people start tracking, tracking their income and their outgo. Mm -hmm. And you would be amazed, Amanda, how many people just the decision, the, the commitment that they've made, they're going to track, they would come for the next appointment and say, I decided if I had to write it down, I didn't want to spend it. So quite often, their behavior starts shifting right from the get go. Um, as they begin to get conscious and connected, oh, maybe I really don't need that ice cream cone, you know, yes. maybe I really I don't want to write it down. I don't want to look at it. I don't really like the way it makes me feel. So right from the get-go, you know, things can start changing for people if they make the commitment that they're going to get conscious. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense, being being really aware of it and, and not being in denial, as you said before. You talked about credit cards. What's your personal view on credit cards? Should we have them or should we cut them up? Uh, well, you know, that's such a great question. And if you'd have asked me this years ago, I would have had a very different response. And now I would just say, cut them all up. But the reality is, you know, we, I, one of the things that my husband and I were doing prior to COVID, we were traveling Europe, which we thought was going to be for two or three years. And we had to come back a year ago this Time. month, just, just a few days ago. And, um, and, you know, credit cards are just something that is, a, it's a way of life. And, you know, people can use their watch and their phone and not even use cash or anything. However, what I built into my process is a way that if people are going to use credit cards, that they're doing it 100% consciously. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I've developed software. Um, it started out as a paper and pencil system. And now I have a program called Money Grit. And it's a, it's a, spending plan software where you track all of your money, you do your spending plans, you do your debt repayment plans, everything in it. And so um, if people, if they discover that no matter what they put into place, they really keep blowing it with credit cards, they might be like the alcoholic, the person who just says, I can't use credit yeah. cards just a little. 
But most people can learn. And so one of the things that I'll say, if you want to use credit cards, you, you know, people don't want to use their debit cards online, right? Mm. You know, and so um, sometimes people will have a, a credit card with a small limit that they do yeah. just use just for their, their purchases. But what I encourage people to think about is if you're charging it, you look at your spending plan and say, do you have the money to pay for this? Yeah. And so. a lot of times people will then go in, you know, every few days and anything that they charge, they'll just go ahead and make that payment. So, so they're using there it like ways, a debit card. They're even using it a credit like a card. debit card. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, you know, it's different. Um, And I think, Amanda, as I've seen technology change over the years, I think it's designed to keep people vague. Yeah. You know, hey, you know, I saw an advertisement in yoga. You get an announcement on your phone that you just are almost going to overdraft your account. Well, you know, with all this technology, it's really easy for people to be in a total money folk money fog or money coma where, you know, they don't know what's going on. So it's so important for people to be connected and to have systems in place so that they are able to still be on top of their money. Yeah, I I agree. For myself, I have one credit card with quite a low limit. I mean, I could probably afford to have a higher limit, but I just don't want to do it. No, and it's, yeah. it, you know, and then if somebody gets it, you know, it's like, and especially online, I think it's really good to, to have a smaller one, but um, credit cards are very, very seductive. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in America, I mean, people aren't in school right now, but on college campuses, traditionally, um, the credit card pushers are like drug pushers out there, you know, Wow. Mm. and um they make a lot of money getting these kids to sign up for these credit cards. And they particularly will target kids whose parents um, look good financially. Right. And ah. I just heard the saddest story. This was a few years ago. I was, I don't watch television during the day, but I was going to speak someplace. So I flew into this city and I, as I'm unpacking, I'm going to be speaking the next day. Um, I turn on the television and here's a panel of mothers who had lost their children to suicide. And one mother's story was that when the dorm, when the the daughter was found, um, she had spread all of her credit cards all over the bed and said, Mom, I'm so sorry. Oh, how tragic. It was so so tragic. I mean, short term. Oh, you know, it's like and her mom would have loved to have known that. So, I mean, it really is important for uh, people to realize that they want to have their kids prepared when they go off to college. And you know, people do commit suicide over money problems. I mean, it's just a really, really sad thing. Yeah, because it's preventable. It is preventable. Yeah. There's hope. Yeah, there's hope. Yeah, and that, you know, when I think about my life work, I think that's one of the messages that I would like to leave for everyone is t- to have compassion for yourself. You know, if you've gotten into trouble with money, um, that was that was hard for me in the beginning. For a few yeah. years, I did have a lot of regret and a lot of remorse. You know, I, I didn't have money to go to my grandmother's funeral, you know, and I didn't ask for help. And, you know, just I just felt, oh, I've messed things up. So it took me a long time to forgive myself and realized that, hey, that was then, and I did what I could do. Yeah. And now I get to, you know, hopefully help other people. So it's hard to come out of denial and face it if we have money problems, but it is so worth it. It's so worth it. 
Yeah, I mean, you have completely turned your life around and other people's as well. Just back to your grandmother's funeral and you couldn't afford to go, did you did you lie about that to other people because of the kind of shame and make up excuses or were you forthcoming? I was um, working for this company that I told you about and they had sent me back east to um, a six-month training. It was a very intensive training. And even though we were paid and, and we had lodging and everything, um, I didn't have the money to buy a ticket to go home. And I was too ashamed to ask anybody. Yeah. So I just made it about the training. The work and too busy. Yeah, just, you know, I can't leave. Of course I could have left the training for a couple of days to attend my grandmother's funeral. Um, but, you know, we do a lot of rationalizing and justifying. Yeah. And we do that to try to make ourselves feel better. You know, it's not easy, um, you know, to face this alone. And so that's the other thing is, you know, there, there is help for people. That's very good to know. We were talking, Karen, about credit cards. The other thing that's, you know, mushrooming up around the world are all these afterpay um, schemes where you, you know, buy now, pay later, you get the thing you want right now, and then you have to pay for it. And there are quite a lot of ads for this kind of thing on television in Australia. And the biggest one here is afterpay. And I think the biggest in the US is Affirm, maybe. So what do you think of that kind of um, arrangement? You know, I've heard some really sad stories. If, if um, what I've seen here is what you're referring to is, it's like, hey, buy now, mm. and you don't have to pay for it for three years. Yeah. You know? You won't, and if you pay for it for three years, you won't pay any interest. That's the thing. You won't pay yeah. interest. Oh, I've heard the most heartbreaking stories of missing the deadline by one day, one minute, you know, once that clock turns past 12. And so then those three years of interest is tacked on you know, really high interest. Mm. So there, there are a lot of, a lot of things like that, that are very seductive Yeah, for people who, are feeling a lot of um, longing, a lot of craving, you know, they, they're not satisfied with their life. So they're very susceptible to that type of marketing. And um, so that's why. And the other thing that's so beautiful with this process that I've been telling you about, about starting to tune into the difference between what your wants and needs and desires are. So often those things that people really think they want and desire that diamond necklace you were mm. talking about, once they start getting grounded and they're starting to meet their real needs, you know, take care of these little things, so often those priorities really change. It's just no yeah. longer a priority. It's, but it's, I mean, you're a nutritionist, so you know about sugar and how it affects people, right? Yes. Just give me a waffle and some butter and hot syrup, a whole bunch of maple <laughs> syrup, and, right? And so just like people will get a hit physiologically from, from that, we get those same hits imagining the diamond necklace or this particular, you know, sofa for your home or this outfit, you know, or this pair of shoes. And, um, and people are very, very susceptible when they're living yeah. in deprivation to those types of things. And I think also with the instant gratification, as you say, like the sugar hit, it doesn't last all that long. So you get the diamond necklace the great shoes or whatever it is you want once you have it it's like oh now I've got it and the excitement wears off quite quickly and then you're left with the debt 
So, you know, something I haven't thought of for quite a while until you said it, this is a, one of the things I used to teach um, to money coaches is when you think about a drug addict, okay, part of, you know, so they, they start thinking, I've, you know, they're going into withdrawal, so they need a fix, right? And so they, they start, you know, if you think of this in a circle, and when they start at the side where, okay, I need a fix, now I've got to figure out how I'm going to get the money, now I've got to contact my dealer, right? They start getting high really just before they're going to score. Mm-hmm. And then the minute they score, if they start plummeting down again, right? It's the same thing for people with money. It's like, um, oh, I feel like crap today. I know it's going to make me feel better. And now they go, okay, do I have room on a credit card? Oh, can I do this? Or, oh, can I take this back? And it's that same thing. And then as soon as they score that item, yeah. Now the remorse and the guilt start setting in. And so well, guess what? They don't like that feeling. So now they can start fantasizing the next thing again. And so it's just that vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah, that and addictive cycle. It's an addictive cycle. And that's why, you know, the healing work is saying, what do I need? You know, and there are times in my work, I would feel like I was an image consulting consultant, helping somebody put a wardrobe together, a nutritionist, teaching people how to plan and prepare food that would feel nutritious, um, you know, how to create a social life, because money touches every area. And, um, but starting to take care of the little things. And the other thing is, when you do a spending plan, and you look at how much money you have to start the month and how much money is coming in. And then you plan your income and expenses. If you see that you don't quite have enough money, then the idea is you go back through your spending plan. You try to keep the integrity of the plan, mm-hmm. but you ask yourself, can I meet this need in a way that costs less or no money? Yeah. And so now we start tapping into our curiosity and, um, you know, get curious about, and that starts helping a person's self-esteem too. You know, I was working with this couple and their Friday nights were really expensive. They both were, you know, high corporate people. They worked really hard during the week. Friday night was their night to cut loose and go to dinner and have bottles of wine, but it was costing them thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, I'm sure. And they came in one day and, and, you can't just tell people, well, stop doing that on Friday nights. But what you can say is, is there a way you could still accomplish what you accomplish on Friday nights? You know, you don't want to cook. You want to have some time together. And, you know, this couple came in and they said, we, we just had the best Friday night. We, at that time, it was video store to rent videos. They got a video they bought. They stopped at a deli and got food to go and bought a nice bottle of wine came home, lit a fire, you know, and they just said it was wonderful. And it was tiny bit of cost compared to what they were spending. So you can't just say, well, cut out, cut out, cut out, cut out. That wouldn't work, would it? Taking all the joy out. Mm. It's like a diet mentality. It's a budget mentality. You know, having more of a plan for our life, a spending plan, earning plan. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because if you just said, well, don't do that and don't do this, the connotation of that is deprivation. Whereas yes. if you say, okay, well, let's still do this, but let's do it in a different way. And as you say, it, it makes people think creatively. And, you know, that all plays into your self-esteem. Like I found a solution. I can Absolutely. still have fun on Friday nights, but it's just going to look a little bit different. 
or you could say maybe once a month we go out to a restaurant but the other Fridays we're in at home. In terms of financial health, you've talked about wants and needs and creating a budget. So what are the very basic tips for someone starting out who wants to improve their relationship with money and try and bring their spending within their means? And they're just starting out like as an, um, an adult or a college kid? Just... Um, someone who has had some issues with money in the past, so an adult and they're coming to see you or one of your um, colleagues. Um, so you talk about wants and needs and a spending plan. What other kind of things do you talk about? Well, one of the things we have them do is, as I said, mentioned earlier, is start tracking mm-hmm. and be paying attention to the feeling when they're tracking. So, you know, I just went and bought this this particular thing, how do I feel about it? In fact, in the software that I created, there's a memo for the feeling so that people can start connecting up. I felt good doing this or no, I felt crappy doing that. You know, that's my old behavior. um, Or I felt kind of neutral about that. Or, oh, I was really mad at my money coach when I thought about this because I think she might judge me. You know, start tuning into the feelings. And then another thing that I have people do And it depends kind of where they are, how soon we would introduce this. But I have them write a money autobiography. Oh, interesting. And I have it in um, early childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, and present day. And one of the things that that does is it helps people see how they develop their belief systems and attitudes that drive their relationship, you know, drive their behaviors with money. And, um, and then the other thing I haven't mentioned is, and I, I learned this my first few months in business, that people who were entrepreneurs, I had to build a pro- the same process for business owners mm-hmm. because they always would have a backdoor. Oh, I'll just do that through my business. I'll just do that through my business. Ah. And, and so one of the freebies that I have on my website is called Is Your Work Working For You? And it's for people, whether they're employed or self-employed, to look at their relationship to earning money. I mean, yeah, we want to look at our relationship with credit cards and spending, but also what is our relationship with earning money? And is our work working, but the money doesn't? Does the money work, but the work doesn't? Um, you know, to just have people look at their relationship to work and earning. Mm -hmm. So sometimes doing those exercises will give people insight. And and in that insight, sometimes they are able to begin having more compassion for themselves. That's because they'll go, well, no wonder I'm scared to death, you know, and I feel like I want a bill paid every single day it comes in because this was an actual case where a couple I was working with, she wanted to pay bills the minute they came in and her husband thought that was ridiculous. I'll pay them twice a month. They did their many autobiography and she had never shared with him, hadn't even thought about the fact that she had to lie to the landlord and to bill collectors from the time she was a little girl as her parents would hide in the other room. Ah. So of course that had a huge, and, and once she wrote it and they shared this, all of a sudden he says, honey, fine. We'll pay the bills every day they come in. She, the fact that he now understood she was fine with twice a month, you know. So there can be so much that we, you know, there's a lot of a lot about mindset these days, yes. right? And so there's there's a lot that can happen 
that's buried and we don't recognize the impact and, and how it's affecting our behaviors. So kind of shedding some light on that um, can really be a good step for people yeah. as well. Well, that sounds fascinating because as a child, um, you really have no control over the financial situation that you're born into. But clearly, like the woman you just mentioned, it has an impact on your relationship with money. So if you never think about it or talk about it, you may not realize where it's coming from. Mm. One of my colleagues, Dr. David Kruger, <clears throat> is a psychiatrist and a master um, money coach, not a, yeah, he's a business coach, I guess. He wrote a book on your relationship with money and he says, your relationship with money is the longest relationship you will ever have. He said oh, it began. Yeah you're born you know what kind of prenatal care did your mother have you know that type of thing and so there's so much from before we were born certainly you know for our life and and what we grew up with that will impact our relationship with money I mean me being really sick as a kid I know impacted um, my behavior with money so it's vital isn't it yes. because as you say it's it's the longest relationship we'll ever have <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it is, like it or not, it is the way our society functions, isn't it? So you can't escape it. You train money coaches. So where are those people based? And what I'm trying to ask basically is, do you help people outside the United States or Canada? Yes, this is the great thing. Um, you know, in the early days when I trained people, they would have to fly to California, right, and rent mm-hmm. hotels. And and now we can do, we can offer our training and our courses through Zoom and, right. you know, distance learning. It's wonderful. Um, and so we do. We have coaches in New Zealand, Canada, Sweden, you know, a few around, but you can work with someone. Some of the coaches in the United States work with people in other countries. Some of the people in other countries work with um, people in the United States because we do have this amazing ability now. Yes. uh, Through Zoom. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I guess that's one of the silver linings of COVID. I mean, Zoom existed before, but now it's so commonplace. Pretty much everyone knows how to use it. I was so grateful and I was also really grateful for the coaches because even the ones who had offices and would see people in person, when COVID hit, they could still, they hardly skipped a beat in terms of their practice because they were already used to using Zoom and doing this type of um, coaching. So yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah. And well, we're connecting on Zoom, which is wonderful on opposite sides of the earth. And here we are. We are. I know. And Karen, you have a book called Financial Recovery, Developing a Healthy Relationship with Money. And I believe people can um, buy that from your website. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. So what motivated you to write that book? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I, um, you know, I've gone through many phases. I started my business. I had my very first client February 2nd, 1989. So it's just been 30, 32 or 33 years. And um, this year I'm turning 78. And um, so I've gone through these different phases and I went through this phase where I felt the only people who were getting exposure to my work were people who could afford to work with a money coach Mm -hmm. or with me. So I thought, you know, one of the things I want to do is I want to do a self-help book and I want to put 
as much of my process in it as I can so that, that somebody could take it. And especially if they worked with a friend, you know, somebody um, working through it so that they were coming out of their secrecy and denial. And it turned out that way. Oh my gosh, I still get these emails from time to time saying your book has changed my life. There was one I read in social media today on Facebook. Someone said, I, I read your book years ago and it's just made such a difference in my life. So I accomplished that. And it also ended up, um, and this wasn't the goal, but it ended up being a um, kind of like a, a textbook for the coaches as well. You know, oh, they have excellent. their training mm. material, but this is very digestible because I wrote it, you know, for the for the layman, so to speak. Mm. Uh, so that was what my motivation was. And um, yeah, and I, I feel that it, it turned out that way. That's great. And also, it's probably a really nice starting place for someone who is feeling really overwhelmed and a bit ashamed. They might think, oh, perhaps I'll read this book first. And that, you know, maybe that solves their problems, or it might give them confidence to actually seek out um, a person to help them as well. Karen, it's you, I know you've got another meeting to go to, so it's time to wrap up. So what do you do to relax? What do I do to relax? Mm. Oh, yoga. Excellent. Love it. Walking and yoga. Um, also, just sitting in front of the fire with my husband at the end of the day. You know, he's retired now and he's working and we're working in this business together, which is wonderful. And um, we just sometimes will just sit at the end of the day and have that little bit. And then we go in separate rooms and do our yoga, you know, so we could just have as much room to stretch out as possible. Um, nature has always been the yes. thing that I go to. And um, I will tell you this about yoga. When I left corporate America and decided I was going to start my business, and I, did, I couldn't go out with people, you know, that I was going out with and spending all this money. I took up yoga. So I'd leave work and go straight to hot yoga. It was called Bikram Yoga. Yes. 90 yes. minutes of hot. <laughs> I became addicted to it, but it was a good addiction. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love yoga. I don't do it much these days because I spend all my time trail running and other things, but um, I will definitely go back to it. Who inspires you, Karen? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> one of the people that inspires me the most is Oprah Winfrey. I love Oprah. I've always loved her. One of the things that she did to inspire me was she, when I was trying to decide whether I could be honest about where I was, you know, and I would watch Oprah and she would just neutralize these hot topics, topics mm. of shame and embarrassment. So I would have to say that Oprah um, there's another woman in the United States that's a business owner, somebody that I really respect, and her name is Marie Folio. She has something called B-School, and B-School, it's a business school. And, you know, I've taken a lot of online courses. Hers is probably the best I've ever taken. And, um, yeah, you know, and, and right now, just all the brave people that are speaking up about Black Lives Matter and, yeah. you know, it's just so a wonderful time to be alive and, and really be alive, be tuned into yeah. what's going on. And but there, there are many, but I would have to say I would have always said Oprah. Oprah. Yeah, there's some real momentum um, that's come with the Black Lives Matter and the, the Me Too movement as well, which is great, yeah. I think, for all of us and especially for us women. Karen, that leads me to my final question. And I like to ask all my guests this. 
If you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, and they don't have to be related to money or finances, what would they be? You know, for me, I think breathing. I mean, that sounds like, right, we all breathe. Mm. But a red flag for me is if I'm not able to just take a deep breath, sometimes just touching my chest can be a way that I can kind of um, relax and then for me, I also need to have contact with people. Yeah. You In know, social I just, context. something I've missed. We're getting our second vaccine Friday. Yay. I get to see my grandchildren and my kids. Um, we've So if you would have asked me this before COVID, I would have probably said something else. But to me, that touch, you know, that connection, um, that probably feeds my soul probably just about more than anything. And if I'm not breathing, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have to be able yes. to breathe. Obviously, if we're alive, we're breathing. But I'm talking about really being able to breathe, that I'm not living in such anxiety. And so that's a red flag for me if I recognize yeah. that I'm not breathing easily. So conscious, connected breathing. Mm. Mm -hmm. How long since you've seen your grandchildren? A year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and when we saw them, we saw them from across the street. We flew back. We were in Portugal last March and um, I got to see them across the street. So I didn't see them 10 So I really haven't spent time with them for almost two years. Oh, and they grow so much. <laughs> we do FaceTime and we do Zoom meetings and we read yeah. stories and play It's games. not the same though, is it, as that physical it's touch? It's not the and... same. No. Oh, that'll be wonderful when you can see them. And Karen, thank you so much for being a guest on Vibrant Lives podcast. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. It's really been my pleasure, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. And that was money coach Karen McCall sharing her considerable insight and experience with us. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found today's interview interesting and possibly helpful. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Vibrant Lives Podcast, you can subscribe on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. And you can also subscribe on YouTube. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast. And check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. You can either contact me there via the contacts page or DM me through social media to let me know if there is someone you would like me to interview or if there's a topic you'd like me to explore in my 5-Minute Food Facts series. Producing the podcast is a labour of love and it does take up a lot of time and expense. If you would like to support Vibrant Lives Podcast, I would be so grateful. You can visit the donate page on my website. And another way you can support my podcast is by purchasing a book from the book reviews page on my website. If you click the Amazon link there, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission if you do decide to buy a book. Thank you so much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.